Thank you for clicking and thank you for listening. This is Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug. Hi, welcome back. This is Jim Dudley. So, Jim, let's um, get into a very serious topic that unfortunately happens altogether too often to some of our officers out there. Um, The issue of suicide by cop, where uh, a subject uh, forces an officer's hand and has to um, use deadly force to protect himself from what he perceives herself uh, perceives to be a deadly threat. Um, I'll go through a little bit of uh, data here. I I located on suicide.org. They had um, information on a study conducted between 1987 and 1997. During that period, that 10-year period, 11%, according to this website, 11% of all officer-involved shootings were suicide by cop. Of those, 98% were male. 39% had a history of domestic violence. 17% possessed a toy gun, a replica gun. Um, No percentages were given, but uh, um, a note was made that many had had a history of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and prior suicide attempts. Um, So I I didn't get the raw numbers on how many suicide by cop instances that were, but of all officer-involved shootings, a full 11%, that's a lot of people. Um, How how do you um, kind of prepare to um, understand, comprehend, process, and and, and get, you know, get your, wrap your head around when you walk up on someone like that, a man with a gun call, um, or someone who's called in their own, you know, domestic violence issue, um, you know, what are some of the indicators that this could be a suicide by cop? Well, we we talked about Gordon Graham and his um, his famous byline: "Predictable is preventable." And in this case, when we talk about someone bent on self destruction. Uh, unless we have some precursor information, a family member calls with direct information, or we get a, a Tarasoff notice maybe from a, a psychiatrist or a, some, somebody who's providing some mental health support for the individual, it's rare that we get a tip-off that somebody is about to commit suicide or to try to induce police officers to, to essentially commit suicide for mm-hmm. them. So. As far as the predictability of it, it, it's not always apparent, and it's rarely apparent, I should say. So police officers uh, may be lured into a situation where uh, someone abruptly uh, produces a handgun Mm -hmm. or uh, rushes them uh, trying to pull their gun from their holster, something extreme in order to get the violent response by the police officer. And it's unfortunate for everybody involved, of course, mm. the, the the individual, of course, the officer, of course, the families involved. Um, there's so it, there's so much ripple effect from these kind of situations, and the preparedness for the officer has to come way in advance. I mean, the, the training is certainly uh, available to us at, at in the police academies uh, in California. California Post does some uh, suicide by cop specific training. Um, we've had really good alliances with our mental health uh, allies in California. And I know across the country there are uh, CIT training teams for um, crisis intervention teams. Mm-hmm. And those are good for dealing with um, people in crisis. With suicidal subjects. Or suicidal subjects. But when you get into this the situation where someone pulls a gun, produces a gun, threatens themselves, and then maybe threatens the officer's in order to get that, to elicit that response, it, it's important for the officers to know if they can 
uh, in a situation where uh, it's not apparent that they're, they're, they're trying to do harm to the officers themselves. Time, distance, and shielding, yeah. right? Uh, if you can draw it out, if you can call resources, but the primary objective is to gain some sort of cover. You're not gonna be talking, it's not a TV show where you're talking three feet standing from a person uh, alternately holding the gun on himself and pointing mm. at you. That, mm. that should never happen. Um, an officer should get good cover if they can, try to draw the situation out by talking to the individual and call for resources. Um, but short of that, in these split-second decision situations, the officer has to uh, protect himself and others first. Yeah. So uh, in the training, you learn all about the, the individual and, and what their goals are and um, some things that you might be able to do to, to draw out the situation long enough to, to make them second-guess themselves. But... Um, this is a really tough one. There, there's no, there's no answer. Yeah, there's, there's a couple um, potential indicators that you might have, um, you know, a suicide by cop call happening before you. You know, one of them being if you learn in, in and you're, you're dealing with a person, you're talking with a person, you're drawing it out while resources are kind of getting to, to the scene. You know, if you're dealing with a, a barricaded subject who refuses to do any negotiation. You know, if you have someone who you learn through your interaction has had a, a recent life-altering event, for example, like a divorce, a job loss, um, and, and is, is behaving irrationally, and you can kind of put two and two together, that you might be approaching a suicide by cop scenario. Um, and of course, finally, is you know that suicide, uh, that barricaded subject, if they've recently killed someone, a spouse, a family member, they may be more of a candidate for a suicide by cop type encounter than a, another type of a subject. Right, and I've I've heard that some of the precursors, um, somebody declaring they'll they'll never be taken alive right. by the not police. going back to jail, never not taken going alive. Back, right, I, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily classify them as a suicide by cop situation. I think they're desperate people who back themselves in a corner, and they've got very few alternatives yeah. at that point. So, um, well, someone someone who says <coughs> I'm going me. out like a man, or you know that kind of thing. You know, you, you'll never take me down. You know, that's potentially, you know, like that kind of an indicator, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a shootout. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a shootout. I don't yeah. think that's a, a suicide. And in these situations, you might have three or four possibility outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. the, the person gets injured or killed, the police officer gets injured or killed, or the suspect or police or the suspect gives up or is otherwise disabled mm -hmm. um, or, or disarmed by law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So just like somebody standing on a ledge, you're not going to rush to them. No. You're not going to go try to um, put them in a bear hug while they're armed with, with a handgun. That just shouldn't happen. I think once it happens, um, the, the aftermath is, is just as important as the training leading up to the event itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, you know, the, uh, police officers tend to like to control situations. And when a suicide by cop uh, happens, in essence, the um, subject has very briefly seized control of the of the situation. Um, they have mandated, they have dictated that deadly force be used have, by pantomiming, drawing a gun, by you know all of the things that we've talked about. Um, and in the aftermath, uh, Dr. Larry Miller, who's a police psychologist, uh, very very well respected out of Florida, um, writes for Police One, and he he actually has several recommendations, and I'll, I'll summarize them here. 
there will be a link on the uh, the policing matters um, webpage uh, that you can get the full article. He says uh, you should conduct operational debriefings. He indicates that with 2020 hindsight, you can get to 2020 foresight. Um, so you can look at what's happened in your recent past, evaluate it, try and learn from it, and move on. Um, then he, he suggests attending a critical incident stress debriefing, um, professionally administered. He also says you should seek individual counseling um, for whatever duration you might kind of need or want, um, that it can help kind of get you through that, that you know, regaining control, really. Um, and then finally, and this was a really interesting one, he says don't forget the good stuff. Um, don't let it um, don't let it kind of torture you for too long. You can get past it. You can get through it. You can get over it. Um, and, and and remembering that there's so much about the job that's so great. Sure. Well, yeah. The the old days in you know back in the day, mm -hmm. the debrief took place usually on a bar stool, right? Mm -hmm. Thank goodness we've gone away from that. We formalized um, debriefs. Uh, we brought whole teams together to talk about what happened. People can express their emotions and uh, talk about um, how they feel and, and, and what they thought they saw or what they saw. And that's all very helpful. The idea of getting individualized um, care is so important. Uh, we've already got pretty good processes in place where after um, the police officer who pulls the trigger uh, gets debriefed, um, there's so many possibilities as far as resources available to them, uh, employee assistance programs, peer uh, resource officer, peer, uh, peer officers um, who can come in and talk and, and counsel a little bit, or at least listen, right? And then uh, check-ins and check-ups after the fact, a day, three days, six months, a year, right? You tend to to have these anniversaries in your head and it's nice to be able to, to talk to somebody. So when the officers are involved in the shooting, they get the mandatory time off, they get retraining, they get to go out and fire their gun and gain confidence with their gun again. All this happens before they go back on the street. But the critical part is getting the follow-up mental health care. And, and before we, we end on the subject, I wanted to talk about a couple of really good resources available in California, that's through California Post. And there's a post training uh, specifically on uh, blue suicide or suicide by cop. Mm -hmm. and, and nationally, uh, NAMI, the National Alliance uh, on Mental Illness, uh, talks about the importance of crisis intervention teams. And you can find out a lot of information on, on that website as well, NAMI.org. Outstanding. Well, I think we can all agree that no law enforcement officer really wants to, uh, has any um, interest in taking a life, but when they're forced to, the, the, the most important thing is that they take care of themselves in the aftermath. Right. And, you know, I've, I've talked about my own shooting in the past, and, and I know how awful I felt after that shooting. And, and this was an individual who shot at me first. So you can imagine, you can just exponentially, uh, you know, imagine how worse an officer feels when they know that the suspect prompted the shooting, maybe even with a, a, a simulated gun, not even a real gun. It's, um, it, it really requires a lot of time and distance from that event to, to build back up to, yeah. to normal. Well, as we close, I want to remind everyone listening um, that we want to hear from you. Uh, we are choosing topics based on our judgment and what we think, um, uh, we think people want to be uh, talking about. But uh, if you send an email 
to policingmatters at policeone.com. That's policingmatters, one word, at policeone.com. That'll go to both Jim and me, and uh, maybe one of your topics will be on a future podcast. Hope to hear from you.